And our next partner for In the Booth is Biom, which is a toothpaste company. You hear how I said toothpaste? I said that with a lisp because I don't have a front tooth. And I like using this toothpaste because it's a nice little tablet called Knobs. Knobs toothpaste was formulated by a dentist to provide a minimalist toothpaste without sacrificing on efficacy. It's just 13 ingredients and no BS. It's that simple. Most fluoride-free toothpaste don't include a remineralizing agent. We change that with Knobs. That's N-O-B-S. It's formulated with the safest remineralizing agent alternative to fluoride, nano, get this, hydroxapatite, and super gentle polishing ingredients. Plus, because they are dehydrated tablets, they don't have any unnecessary preservatives, all right? So all you have to do is stick one of these knobs right down, no, put, don't put it down the hatchet. You want it in your mouth for a little bit. You chew on it until it's fully dissolved, and then you brush with a wet toothpaste for two minutes, twice a day. It's that simple. Watch as knobs foam just like a regular toothpaste, but without the junk. There's no mess, no crinkled tube, which I am so guilty at screwing up the toothpaste tube. Uh, major pet peeve that I do to myself, all right? I squeeze from the top and not the bottom, creates a big mess in my bathroom. You don't need to worry about that with these tablets. To get these bad boys, check out betterbiom.com. That's better and then B-I-O-M.com. One O in there. And for the code, very simple, just like the tablets, it's Booth. Two O's in that one. B-O-O-T-H. Check it out. You're going to love it. We are back in the booth. I am Sean Booth, and thank you guys for tuning in. Wherever you're listening from, maybe you're in Honolulu, Hawaii today. Maybe you're out in Portland, Oregon, Oregon. Maybe you're up north. Maybe you're in uh, good old Banff, Canada. We love our Canadians. Uh, thank you guys for the continued support. We are past 20 episodes. Can you believe that? We made it. Sound effects over there from the love seat. And we are going strong. And today we have a jam-packed house. We got a special guest. And maybe more importantly, we have Sam Cat's mom in the building. <laughs> Mrs. Cat. Mrs. Cat is here and her cousin. Yep. On the opposite side over here, setting up the scene for you guys if you're not tuned in to YouTube right now. Stage left. We got the Cat family directly across from me in the love seat. She's got black jeans, boots that are over the jeans are those jeggings uh no but i was going to say i feel like we can't miss that these are skinny jeans because i feel like a black skinny jean never goes out of style never love never. them never never go out of style they look fantastic and she's got that matched up with a oversized sweater turtleneck we got turtle cat in the building everybody hey, okay <laughs> Our guest is looking at you like, what did I sign up for? I know. You know? I, always have to, I didn't remind him or tell him. <laughs> Usually when we have guests, I'm like, I do this weird thing where I kind of like describe what she's wearing. <laughs> yeah. Don't know how it started, but here we are still doing it. And to my left here today in the hot seat, he is the founder of the very popular and successful BPN supplements that he's worked on now for over a decade. He is a hybrid athlete. He has built a massive online community on the foundation of going one more. He served in the U.S. Army, and he is the newest resident here in Nashville, Tennessee. 
He's my new neighbor at BC Gym. Everybody, give it up for Nick Bear. Hey. Thank you. Thank that 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 was quite the intro. Yeah, you I like don't that? Have ever experienced a podcast intro like that before. But that was wild. Let's go. I'll take it. Excellent. That was remarkable. How are you liking Music City? <laughs> Love it. Love it. I mean, when I met my wife, it's actually full circle. Um, because when I met my wife in 2017, she was training at what was Vigor right. Gym, where you were you were training at, and then you then turned it into booth camp. So when we decided we wanted to come to Nashville, she wanted to come back to Nashville. We were looking at commercial properties to lease. It just so happened the space above your gym was available. So it's like, it's bringing us right back to where it all started. Full That's circle. crazy. That is a full circle. And you guys are going to take over our space once we're done with our build out down the road. So you got the whole half of that building. I'm excited. Yeah, that's very exciting. We're excited. We're also glad that uh, we don't have lawyers above us anymore, which we used to have, <laughs> yeah. and they would complain every single day. I'm like, you moved in after us above a gym. Mm-hmm. And that was a nightmare for months. We had to put in soundproofing. Uh, we were getting emails every day. They weren't paying rent. It was this whole big thing. So hopefully you guys won't complain too much about our music. Well, I think like we're probably the opposite where we had a guy coming in this past week spray painting the walls. <laughs> yeah, and, and we put, smelt it from downstairs. Yeah, it's so like the, the smell, we got the music going on. It's a completely different vibe of of legal teams. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Uh, we're glad you're in town and glad to have you here on the show today. A lot to talk about. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, I want to start back where it kind of all began for you in your college dorm, Yep. right? Where BPN came alive. So that was 2012. Okay. Uh, I went to Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I'm from Pennsylvania originally. And I went there on an Army ROTC scholarship. So I knew after graduating college, went to school to study nutrition, knew after graduating college, I was going to go into the Army. Uh, Army paid for my school, tuition, books, room and board, great deal. And then between my junior and senior year of college, because they, they knew I was joining the military, the military associated bank called USAA offers what they call a pre-commissioning loan. So like you could take up to $25,000 out. All my peers were buying engagement rings, going on vacations, getting new cars. I saw this as my golden opportunity to start my business. I was obsessed with the dietary supplement industry, sports nutrition. I was making my own products in my dorm in my apartment at the time. So I'd buy ingredients in bulk, mix them up, People would come to my room, knock on the door. I'd give them a, a baggie of white powder. That's they give awesome. me five bucks. So if you walked into my room in college, it was like, it was a food scale with white powder all over it, unlabeled like packaging. And I'm like wheeling, dealing pre-workout at the time. So like the condition was set where I'm studying nutrition. I'm obsessed with the industry. I love like bodybuilding and, and performance and training. I'm presented with this opportunity to take out this loan, which I was like, oh, I'm going to start a business with this loan. Took out the loan, got approved for $20,000, found a manufacturer in California at the time, formulated our first product, which was Flight, pre-workout, spent all the money on inventory. So like one friend designed the label for free, another friend designed the the website for free. And I told my dad, I said, we're going to make a million dollars this year. And he said, Nick, if it was that easy, everyone would do it. So he he comes from a, a background of dairy farming. My dad's actually in town right now. He dropped me off for the podcast. Nice. And uh, my mom's side of the family was, was mainly military. 
So like very conservative, didn't really buy into the whole e-commerce business side of, of where the world was going and evolving. And he said, Nick, if it was that easy, everyone would do it. I said, I'm going to prove you wrong. So year one, we did $20,000 in revenue. So Short of a million. Short of a million. <laughs> year two, we did $20,000 in revenue. Year three, we did $20,000 in revenue. So like, I was starting to eat my own words based off what my dad said. And uh, to fast forward a little bit, that first year obviously was not the, the year that I expected to have. Graduated college, went active duty army, got shipped down to Fort Benning, Georgia for a year. I did ranger school, airborne school, the infantry school, Bradley leader course. And then after a year being in Fort Benning, Georgia, I got stationed in Fort Hood, Texas, which is what landed me in Texas. And that's when I started building a social media community and online presence. And that correlated to the growth in the business. So that was doing videos of yourself working out. Filmed everything. Everything. Like vlogging then wasn't what it is today. So I remember I had $500 left in my bank. I told myself, if I spend $500 on a camera, I'm forced to make YouTube content. Bought a Canon T3i. I filmed, I didn't know what to film. I just filmed everything. I filmed going to the gym, talking about the army, building the business, food challenges. I would drive into Austin on the weekend and film just like bouncing around the city, trying different things. Probably pumped out three to four videos a week this first couple of years, just consistently. And like that platform just slowly started to grow. And, and you were just plugging your products in those videos? Very just, organically. Right. You know, like people started buying into the content and they wanted to naturally support the brand. And it wasn't like this pop, but we went from like $20,000 in revenue to 40 to 60 to 80. So it was a very slow growth those first couple of years. And so after you had the first three years at 20,000, were you nervous at all that maybe it wasn't going to happen? Or were you always like, I know this is going to be successful. I'm going to continue grinding it out. Or did you have that thought in your mind? Like maybe supplements aren't what I need to do. No, it's, it's interesting. Like I get, I get this question a lot. There was never the thought of stopping, but there was nothing also that was telling me to keep going. Right. But I was so obsessed with just like what I was doing. It was, a, it was a passion that was driving me forward. And it's funny because like the year before BPN really started to grow, I was stationed in South Korea for nine months with the army. That's actually where I scaled the company when I was overseas. And I ended up doing my taxes that year in Korea, which like, I highly like do not recommend. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to communicate with this person very broken English to get my taxes done overseas. And uh, I remember this accountant was like, you know, you really should consider like closing this business based off of the, the history of the last couple of years. You're just like, you're just wasting money. You're just wasting time. I was like, no, like they're like, we got to be reaching this point where like something's about to pop because you could feel momentum building. Right. The social platforms were growing sales are slowly starting to increase. My dad and brother were packing the orders back in Pennsylvania in this room above our, our garage. And, uh, I just like, I could feel the momentum, but I never expected it to be where it is today. Right. Never in my wildest dreams. And you started with pre-workout flight. Yep. Was that back in the wild west days of pre-workout where you had some crazy stuff in there? 
See, I didn't. That, that, that was my competitive advantage. Yeah. Or what I thought it was because at that time, it was like the Jack 3Ds. Yes, I was taking that. Loved it. Craze. Yeah. Like all these products were getting pulled off the market because of banned substances. And it'll explode. Yep. I mean, like if I had in college, if I had $30 in my bank account and it was like, can I make this $30 last for food for a week? Or should I go buy Super Pump 250 at CVS? <laughs> I went, yeah. I went to CVS yeah. and I got super pumped 250. But like, I saw this opportunity because all these products were being pulled off the market. And I saw the consumer starting to, to care more about what was in the product. So I was like, okay, I'm going to create a product line with no proprietary blends, full transparency behind the labels and no ingredients that were, were banned or close to being banned. Mm -hmm. I wanted people to be able to, to trust the products that we were creating. So that was the foundation of formulation and BPN, the values behind the business. And I definitely played the, the long game. I think that's been my approach for a lot of things. I've always played the long game. I've been patient, consistent. It would have been really easy to formulate a pre-workout that would have just like blown your mind and, yeah. and made you an animal. Yeah. But like I knew how that would affect the consumer. I knew like how that positioned a brand. And now looking back, I'm, I'm happy that I chose the hard right over the easy wrong. Right. And so from that pre-workout, it's evolved into protein. What else do you have? BCAAs. Yeah, it went from pre-workout to creatine to aminos to protein. Because we started as a, a, a performance supplement brand. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I started for to serve myself essentially. Like I was a gym rat, you know, like the bodybuilding uh, stringer cut off gym rat. Yeah. And then in 2018, we launched our first health supplement, which was a green superfood powder called Strong Greens. And at the time, the thought process was this will be an upsell at checkout that the meatheads might throw into their cart as they're just moving through the website. And literally overnight, it became our best selling product. So it gave us this direction of, okay, we need to incorporate more health and wellness supplements. So we launched a red superfood, a multivitamin, fish oil, joint support. And the brand quickly became like a 50-50 split between performance and wellness. And then I always had this thought process of, like we have to find a way to bridge a gap between wellness and performance. Because the way that I saw it was like, you have performance brands, who are legacy brands and say the GNCs, these bodybuilding brands, which I didn't necessarily want to be as we evolved. And then you have like these wellness brands that you find in say Whole Foods, very crunchy, granola, softer brands. But I didn't see anyone bridging that gap. And I knew there was a way to bridge the gap, but for the longest time, I didn't know how. And I found endurance is the way you bridge the gap between wellness and performance. So now we have these three categories that we offer wellness, performance, endurance. Well, I guess I, I, sh I should say performance, endurance, wellness. And we found that endurance bridges the gap between those two categories. So is that when you began endurance training and doing marathons? Yep. Okay. So in 2017, I got into the army. I made a YouTube video saying I'll never run a day in my life again. A few months later, I signed up for the Austin Marathon. That turned into an Ironman and then an ultra marathon. And now I'm, now I'm training for like my fifth marathon right now. But what happened was I couldn't find any 
fuel source sources being like electrolytes and carbohydrates in the market that weren't destroying my stomach. Me training for an Ironman. So, you know, like yeah. you're consuming these carbs and so many of these carbohydrates on the bike when you're just an arrow that your stomach just gets beat up. Wrecked. Yeah. So I wanted to create a product with a carb source that was very fast, gastric emptying and easy on the stomach, but you could consume throughout these big efforts, these big races. So we created this product called G1M Sport, which is a carbohydrate powder from cluster dextrin, very fast gastric emptying, full electrolyte profile. And that's what I use for, still use for all of my endurance training. So that was kind of the way we broke into that market. And then we've launched products after that to serve that, that market. Right. And that's so important in the longer endurance competitions, like an Ironman. When I was training, I started off like just using water on my bike rides. And when I switched to Gatorade or something that had a little more, it made a, a huge difference. And I was using the goo packets, yep. taking one of those like every 20 minutes. Uh, I was sponsored by Cliff. I was eating a Cliff bar. So I was eating one Cliff bar every hour on the bike, taking a goo packet every 20 minutes. And my stomach, I thought, was going to explode. Like I remember on the bike, there was a sign that said, don't trust any farts past this point. Ladies <laughs> <laughs> still holding up that sign. But like, you're just like, holy crap, my stomach is a, a disaster right now, but you need that fuel. That's the hardest part about those endurance races. Like I just did an ultra uh, like a month and a half ago. And explain what an ultra is to people at home. So this is a, a hundred mile race. Yeah. But this was, this, this, this was set up differently. It's called a last man standing. So it's a 4.2 mile loop. You do that loop every hour on the hour until there's one person left. So like traditionally an ultra, say it's a hundred miler, you might go out and back or you might do a 20 mile loop five times. This is called a backyard ultra where, you know, gun goes off. You have one hour to do 4.2 miles. But it doesn't matter if you do it in 30 minutes or 50 minutes, you have to wait until the top of the hour again to restart. So the race restarts every hour on the hour until there's one person left. I went 100 miles in that race. But the goal with these races is like you have to stay on top of nutrition or you'll, you'll fall out. Yeah. So it's trying to eat as much as possible. Like I was trying to shoot for 500 calories an hour. And your stomach, I mean, my stomach was absolutely wrecked. I, I mean, you're running in the woods just like letting everything go yeah. and getting back on the course, which is fine at night when it's dark, but when it's da daylight, it's like yeah. you're making eye contact with people as like, hey. you're pooping in the woods. Yeah. That's like a huge EMOM basically. Um, is that David Goggins? Doesn't he put on something similar to that? I think his is called like the, the four, four by four by 48. Okay. This one, uh, I mean, they call it a backyard ultra. They're becoming more popular but it literally feels like you're in someone's backyard because you don't need a lot of space. And this race was so unique because you show up in this big field, everyone's setting up their tents, everyone's laying out their food. And the food you see people eat during an ultra, it's like you need calorically dense things. Pizza, people are eating burgers, turkey sandwiches, like whatever you can find that you're craving to get calories in, you're just trying to eat it. So I had like all these different options. And I'd come in each loop. My wife would list off these things of like what I wanted to eat, but it always changed every loop. So like I had some pizza, which was like the best pizza I've ever had in my life after like 60 miles in, turkey sandwiches, dried mango. I was crushing dried mango. Just You're just trying to get calories in. 
And you did 100 miles total? Did 100 on that race. What won the race? How many? I, I think it was 146. But I saw that guy on the course and he recently finished Moab 240, which is a 240 yeah. mile race. And he looked so strong from the beginning. And I looked over at him early on. I said, his name was Ryan. I said, how far are you going today? Because I wanted to like see if I could go up against him. He said, I'm going the whole way. Like, All right, you got this. So where did 100 miles rank compared to everybody else? I want to say there were, I don't want to be quoted on this, but I want to say there were like 10 people left. And we started with like 300 runners. So like there was a big attrition after like 30 miles. There was a big drop off after 100K, which is 62 miles. Then there was a, uh, another like, drop off after 100 miles. After 100 miles, I want to say only like seven people went back out on that next loop. But I mean, you're, you're 24 miles or 24 hours in at that point. That's a lot. I was trying to do the math of how long the guy who won ran. And it's 34.76 hours. Yeah. It's a long time to be on your feet. It's a long time to be awake on your feet. <laughs> I mean, horizontal still struggling. Yeah. Good for him. How much of that is mental versus physical when you get past that 20, 30, 40 mile mark? I mean, it's like, it's all mental at that point. Your right. body hurts. But what I found at least is like, say you get to, to 50 miles in, your body's pretty broke off, but the incremental break off is, is becomes smaller the deeper you get. Like things start to hurt, obviously. Your feet hurt, your legs hurt, you be, you become sore. But like it's 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 a big mental game. Especially, you know, you're 50 miles in and I knew I wanted to do at least 100 miles. Man, I got 50 miles left to go. And this race was tough mentally for me because it didn't matter how fast I ran. Like I knew that if I wanted to do 25 miles, it was going to take six hours because there's, there's a the governor, you know, you're stopped every 4.2 miles. So you can't control the pace of the race. Someone else is in control of the race. That was hard for me mentally. What were you finishing those four something miles in? 49. 49. So you had 11 minutes. I, and I, I was, I was finishing every loop within like a 20 second like deviation. I was hitting those loops so consistently. So I had 11 minutes. I'd come in, I'd go to the bathroom. I'd go over to the tent. I'd sit down in my chair. And like I said, my wife would just list off things that I wanted to eat. And you get to a point where like nothing sounds good, but there's one thing that sounds good. And then she'd say that one thing and then I'd crush it, go back out. But like when you go back out that deep in the race, it's just managing, for me at least, my stomach. Right. Shout out to your wife for just hanging out there and just waiting for you to run a hundred miles. That honestly, like the crew, you always have a crew for these races, the ultras. I would say it's just as hard on the crew as it is the runner. Cause for a lot of these races, you're, you're driving to checkpoint, to checkpoint, you're setting up aid stations, you're prepping food. You're not sleeping either. This one was different because you have a campsite, but like, as a crew, you don't sleep either because you're trying to prep and take care of the runner. It's like you need the crew to do these races. If you don't have the crew, it makes it so hard. Right. It's like a race car. It, it's like a, it's a pit stop. Like yeah. You come in, someone takes your, your shoes and socks off, 
someone's like massa- massaging your shoulders, someone's doing a Theragun on your legs. It's a pit stop. That's wild. And a big part of what you do is motivate others by doing these videos and they can see what you're doing, right? They get motivation from that to complete their own goals. Where do you go for motivation? It's a good question, actually. Um, I pull a lot of motivation from like knowing my responsibility to hold others accountable. I wouldn't say there's like an, an individual or a specific source that I go to, like to be motivated, but I feel this responsibility to push myself and be a role model in the space, not just as an athlete or an entrepreneur, but as a, as a father, as a husband, like my goal is to position myself as this role model that inspires and motivates people to do better and realize their potential. So I'm motivated by that, knowing that responsibility. You know, it, a sto- story to kind of resonate through that. So last summer we celebrated 10 years in business and we had a 10 year anniversary party in Austin, Texas, where our headquarters is at. And during the event we did, uh, we did a run downtown, hosted a run. There were probably 300 people that showed up and we ran about around Lady Bird Lake. And this young woman walked up to me. She might've been like 30 years old. And she had, I believe, a seven-year-old daughter with her. She came up to me and she said, you know, my daughter doesn't have a father figure in her life, in our life. So I show her your videos and your content as this source of a father figure. And like, I'll wow. never forget that because that, one, it was very heavy. But right. also I was like, this is why I need to create, keep creating the content I'm creating. And acting on the vision that I have because there is a responsibility that comes with it. So that's what like, that motivates me. Yeah. That's special. That probably would have made me cry a little I bit. I feel like guys. I might cry right now, honestly. <laughs> it was powerful. I mean, that, it, was one of those, it was one of those moments that like, I'll never forget. Yeah. That is special. And you talk a lot about enduring the process, right? And setting a goal for yourself. And that's something that I uh, value so much. And I always feel like for myself personally, if I don't have a goal, I could start slacking off or things start getting mundane or you get into the habit of, you know, going through the day-to-day task without really pushing yourself. How important is it setting a goal for yourself and using that to push yourself every day? I mean, I think you, you need a goal, but I think it's more important to have, Lou's house talks about this, having a meaningful mission. I think a lot of people get tied to having a purpose, but your, your, your purpose can evolve and change. I think a lot of people are afraid that their meaningful mission or their purpose can't change. And uh, he referred to it as identity foreclosure. And I'll just use an example, but like say, say when you're young, you want to you want to be a doctor. So you, you go to med school and that's obviously a process in itself, right? It's a long process. And throughout those years, like what you love, what you care about, what you want to do will probably change and evolve. And say you get to a point where you, you graduate med school, you're ready to be a doctor, say you're 10 years in and you're like, I don't really want to be a doctor anymore. But like that's been your identity for so long. 
Like, went to school for 10 years, spent all this money. I should just suck it up and be a doctor for 30 years and retire. That's 30 years. So it's okay to foreclose on an identity that you previously had if it's not what you want to do anymore. I say all that to say, like, your mission can evolve and change. Your goals can evolve and change. I think you need a North Star. You need to have vision of where you're going. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, you're just traveling hopelessly. Like I always, I might not always have specific goals. I usually do, but I might not always have specific goals, but I have a North Star. I have a vision of where I'm going towards. And that is my trajectory of how I get from point A to point B. It's how I make decisions. It's how I say yes and no to certain things. But if you don't have that, I think you're just, you're just wondering. And maybe wondering is okay for a certain period of point in your life. But if you're wondering forever, you're never going to get anywhere because you don't know where you're trying to get to. Right. What's your North Star, Sam Cat? I am overwhelmed, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like he just threw me for a loop there, but I love that because I feel like there have been periods of time in my life where I don't have the North Star, but it hasn't necessarily hurt me because it was okay for that time period. But like you said, if you don't hold yourself accountable eventually, where are you going? What's the next step? You don't know. My dad always tells me, he's like, where are you now? Where do you want to be? How do you get there? And are you willing to do that? Like, so any situation that you are presented with, whether it be professionally, personally, across the board, where are you now? Where do you want to be? That would be your North Star. What do you need to do to get there? And are you willing to do it? You can apply it to any situation. And I feel like sometimes it's like glaringly obvious. This is my goal. These I'm, I'm training for a marathon. I have to follow these steps in order to train specific days, specific miles and all those things. But then sometimes I feel like you graduate college and you don't know which way is up. It's not as clear cut. But if you can kind of buckle in and think about where you want to be and divide it up so it's not so overwhelming, it's like a, a weight off your shoulders. Like, I know it's cliche, but they're like, you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. Mm-hmm. I find myself getting down on myself or being lost or confused because you can't usually see the whole staircase, but I want to mm-hmm. selfishly. I'm like, well, why am I going to dedicate myself in one direction if I don't know if that's the right way to go? But it's like, just take the first step, break it down, take a deep breath, figure out what your North Star is. I like that. I like the North Star uh, analogy. Is that what you would call that? You could yeah. say so. Sure. That works. I think I've I've always been pretty good at taking a first step and not knowing if that step was going to lead me to the result that I wanted. But I'm okay with taking that step and testing the waters. And you can take the first step and if it, if it doesn't feel right or doesn't produce the result you want, you can always take a step back and take another step somewhere else. Yeah. But I've always been pretty good at just like taking this step and not being necessarily concerned with what's going to come out from it, but it's allowed me to experience and experiment and test and try and innovate. But I've really never been paralyzed by the analysis of the process. What would your advice be to people who don't feel that way? Like I know a lot of friends or family that do have a hard time taking that first step and do have a hard time almost like if it doesn't work out, once they take that first step, like they failed, which is not the reality of the situation, but they feel that way. What would you tell people in order to kind of negate that feeling? I guess my, like, my question for that person would be, 
Like, who are you afraid to fail for? Are you afraid of failure for yourself or are you afraid of the perception of failure from your friends and family? Like, I think a lot of us are not afraid to fail for ourselves, but right. we're afraid to fail because of what people will think of that failure. And that's what holds a lot of people back. It's like we're doing, like we're living life and we're doing these things. And I think social media has made it even worse for like the respect and mm. the acknowledgement of others and not ourselves or what we actually want. Yeah, I agree 100%. Social media has definitely changed the game for that. And I feel like people are just like even scared to post stuff. They might love that photo or video and they're like, I don't know how everybody else is going to think about this. And I feel like the older I get and now that I'm going to become a dad, the less I worry about what other people think. And I think once you can get to that spot as a very comfortable, almost relaxing feeling. Yeah, going back to like the, the meaningful mission part, for a large chunk of my life, my mission was like to build a business and just build a business. And and if parts of my life didn't add to that, I would push them off to the side. Right. Which in retrospect, I, I regret some of those decisions and, and actions, but it did get me to a certain point. Now, like the business is still a huge priority in my life, but I'm not going to prioritize the business over my daughter and my wife. I've done that in the past. Like I've prioritized business over my wife. I can tell you right now, it's like done horrible things for my relationship. Right. And I saw that result. And then when our daughter was born, that's actually like where my life changed the most. And it sounds so cliche, but I was like, this is one time that I can't mess this up. Mm -hmm. I, I got to get this right. That's when I stepped down from the CEO role in, in my business. So when I put like a true operator in place, I wanted to spend more time with family. I wanted to be more present because the worst, like for me, the worst thing is even when I'm somewhere, like if I'm with my family or if I'm with my friends, but I'm not really there. I'm like, I'm on zombie mode where I'm mm -hmm. worried about an email or a text or a meeting. For me, that's just like, I'd rather not be there than be there and not be present. That's something that I'm working on and being a business owner it's, you know, blood, sweat, and tears every single day trying to grow it. And you're always focused on that. And I even said on a recent podcast that I feel like I've lived selfishly in that way where it's like business, business, and got to take care of things where maybe I've neglected some relationships. And, you know, now that Dre's pregnant and same thing where I'm working all day and then I come home and I'm still like trying to work. And then I'm like, then I look at her, I'm like, I just got to, you know, take a moment here and help her out and put the phone down and try and get out of this business mode. It's tough. And it's challenging. It's really tough. I'm a really driven person. Mm -hmm. And my wife always says, like, whenever I feel like, she can tell with me, whenever I'm not in control of my life or I feel like I'm in control, I will, I will create something that gives me control. Like sign up for a race. Like, so when I signed up for this race that I'm in right now, it's because I was in a period of my life where I didn't feel like I was in full control. I stepped down from the CEO role in the business. I was trying to navigate that transition and, you know, being a new dad, trying to navigate that transition. I was experiencing all these like life transitions at once, which I thought was a, a quarter life crisis at the time. Mm -hmm. And I just realized I was going through these transitions. So, I, you know, I'll sign up for these events because I know that's one thing I can control. 
And like that gives me empowerment, which probably is not healthy, but it's, it's one thing I've historically done. I know I can control my training, my nutrition around it, like the, the progress that I'm making. Actually, a, a book that I highly recommend, um, his name's Arthur Brooks. He's grown significantly over these, this past year because he just released a book with Oprah. But his book, um, From Strength to Strength, is one that I read during a chapter of my life where I really needed it. And I thought I was going through a midlife crisis, quarter life crisis. But I just realized through this book that I was just going through all these life transitions. And we sometimes mistake a transition for a crisis. And we go through these, these life transitions every 12 to 18 months. You get married, you have a kid, there's a death in the family, you move, you get a new job. Like think of like those transitions you've experienced and done in life and how stressful they are. We experience these all the time, mm-hmm. but we have to recognize them as natural transitions and invite them in and just process them. And that's what I was going through. It was like all these big transitions at once and it hit me like a bag of bricks. And I was lost for a period of time. Did you used to block those things out before and just focus on training? If you're going through a crisis in your mind, would you use training, running as an escape? Sometimes it works. Sometimes it makes it worse. Right. <clears throat> like for running, what I love about running is I don't have to worry about being accessible. My email's not going off. My phone's not going off. I run in the morning early. I'll start at like four or five forty-five, six a.m. And I think we all have like really noisy, busy minds just from everything going on. But running is that one time for me where it all is just clear. Mm-hmm. And I can focus on one, two, maybe three topics. And these like, I won't go out on a run trying to think of something, but these things will come into my mind during a run and I'll just process and navigate them. So if I have an issue in my life, business, personal relationship, it will come to my mind during that run every day until I take care of it. I've had periods where I've had team members or employees like I knew I had to part ways with because every single day on every run, it's all I could think about. Mm -hmm. And then you finally find a solution for it and it stops pop up in your mind. So like running has, I run now, yes, for the physical benefit, but more so like I need that for mental clarity every morning. I've had some of my best business ideas. I think about how I want to show up as a, a father and a husband. Kind of set the stage for my day. Like that's why I run in the morning now. No music at all. I'll listen to podcasts now sometimes, yeah. um, but usually not music. You know, now that the the my schedule is busier with a kid, like f- I get a lot out of listening to podcasts on those runs in the morning. But there's some days where I just go out with nothing. Right. Yeah, I love running i love well let me rephrase that i love the feeling after the run is done mm-hmm. but i know like you're talking about if you can get into the zone it is a very special place to be in i ran this morning seven or eight miles and just going through my head same thing work stuff and everything just comes flying into your brain and trying to figure that out and i've i've cried on runs before yeah. like no reason everybody's like what's wrong with that guy <laughs> yeah I just, you just get like you know you're just like in this zone and you're thinking about this one thing. I've just gotten like choked up emotional. Yeah. 
like what is going on and yeah. you like you, you see someone coming towards you, you just like you wrap it up real quick You're like <clears throat> yeah yeah that's funny because sam cat usually cries when i tell her to go run up the hill at her gym i have no comment <laughs> i am absurdly jealous that you and other people i have heard talk about the runner's high and the clarity i want to experience that i have not learned that in my 33 years of life listen, I'm not dead. I still got time to learn it. I know it exists because multiple people talk about it. I just can't get there yet. Haven't gotten there yet. How about that? I reword it. It takes time. I don't get it. I want to. I think it's, how simple is it to, I think it does like, like you said, mentally, emotionally, and physically running is beneficial. I'm just not there yet. Check back. I'll check back in with you in a couple decades we'll see how it goes yeah i mean it took me years to like truly experience a runner's high and you don't get it every run no you know some runs still suck but every once in a while you have one that just hits i feel like maybe i could get a biker's high i just feel like running is so painful and not enjoyable for me that i feel like my mind is never clear because i'm thinking about all the things that hurt while i'm running Are you, maybe, maybe, maybe you're running too fast Oh, trust me, that's not the problem. <laughs> You've obviously never been to the gym or seen me run up the hill. Um, no, I just listen. I I enjoy I enjoy working out to an extent, and I enjoy being outdoors, and I enjoy the walks. I could power walk next to you while you run and you lap me, um, but I just I'm not there yet. I don't know that I'll ever be a runner. I think you're either a runner or you're not. Maybe well, I'm wrong. You guys I don't know, know. what I do. I mean. You were a bodybuilder before you started becoming a yeah. runner. It's true. I mean, I think what we saw with with the pandemic and COVID is a lot of non-runners or people who said they would never run ever started running because they didn't have any other option. So you see this massive surge in people running now, signing up for races, marathons, who don't look like runners, who never thought they would be a right. runner. Yeah, because I did the New York City Marathon. And I'm a pretty big guy. My dad was like, you look huge out there compared to everybody. And then I look at you and you're going for a 245. And I'm like, that's a big boy to get a 245. Yeah. It's crazy. My body, like, it sits very comfortable at this weight. Right now, I've, I've pulled back on a lot of strength training to kind of change my body composition mm -hmm. to be more efficient at running. But even like when I dive really deep into a diet and a caloric deficit, the lowest I've gotten in years is 187, 187 pounds. And that's uncomfortable for me. So I sit really comfortable. Like right now I'm 190, probably four in the morning. And that's like my sweet spot. Okay. I'm like 190 right now. 187, 190. Are you like six two? Yeah. yeah. I'm six foot. Okay. How much did you weigh when you were bodybuilding? At my peak? Yeah. 230 damn but i was strong and like yeah. i got the best pumps in the gym but there's there's seasons like there's seasons of for me priorities and what i'm passionate about it goes back to like that that meaningful mission like just because you love bodybuilding right now doesn't mean like you have to love bodybuilding forever right it's okay to to change your goals and, and what you enjoy doing so what would you say to somebody like Sam Cat who, you know, says that they're not a good runner or anybody at home listening right now that they've never stepped foot in the gym, they've never gone for a run, they've never taken a bike for a ride, 
but they want to and they want to get there, but they can't get past that mental hurdle. I think the first step is like finding something you enjoy. Like so many people want to, they want to be a runner, but they hate running. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's like find a type of aerobic training that you enjoy. Cycling. Like my wife is not a runner. She doesn't enjoy running. She likes soul cycle and cycling and, and like group classes. So like for me to try to get her to be a, be a runner, like she just won't enjoy that. So say the first thing is find something you actually are, are passionate about and enjoy. And the second thing would be don't go all in right away. You, you see this all the time where like say someone wants to get into fitness or change their life. Mm-hmm. So they go into their cabinet, they throw away all their bad food. They sign up for a gym membership. They say they're going to go six days a week. Mm-hmm. They start running in the morning, four days a week. Like every part of their, they stop drinking if they enjoy going out for cocktails with friends. Like they go complete 180 and they get burnt out in a week and a half. A week and a half and, and they're done. Yeah. It's like it's baby steps. Like even starting to run, maybe do a run walk approach. Or you want to clean up your diet, like choose five things that you're not going to eat anymore. Or if you eat out a lot, cook at home more. Like just take these baby steps and allow that to evolve over time and, and mm-hmm. compound so you can find out what you like and what you don't like. I think the hardest part with, especially social media right now, is people don't know what's right and what's wrong. Right. You know, like it's keto or die. It's carnivore or die. It's, it's vegan. It's like this type of training. It's this style. You need to be sleeping eight hours. You can't be drinking coffee in the morning. It's like all these things you're thinking, like, where do I even get started? What's it's right and overload. what's wrong? It's, it's yeah. too much. Yeah. And a lot of these things, like they will make incremental changes to your wellness and health, but it's just focus on the foundational. Eat well, train hard, sleep, hydrate, have a social life. Like those things will, will provide... 95% of the benefit for you. And these small little things like sauna or cold plunge or like all this other stuff, that's incremental, mm-hmm. but it's not going to change your life. Right. Yeah. I think it's so important for people to find what they enjoy or else you're just not going to keep up with it. And I always tell people, set a goal for yourself. All right, I'm going to work out, you know, once today. And then by the end of the week, I'm going to work out two or three times total and then kind of mark it off. I'm a guy who likes to see things written out and I can cross it off. So I have like a calendar at my house and have my to-do list and I'm able to look at it and see the entire week, see two weeks, see the month, see what I've missed, see what I need to work on. But for me, tracking is a, is a, a good way to keep my progress going. Do you, do you track your, your food and your diet? I don't do that. No. Do I kind of got to a point where I just know like how much I need or if I'm training for something, marathon, Ironman, then I know I need to up something or decrease something. And that just comes with years of being in fitness and athletics. Yeah, something my running coach said, um, I interviewed him, his name is Jeff Cunningham, a few months ago. And we were talking about people who get into fitness and how it evolves and turns into their entire life. And there's a big difference between being all in and all consumed. So like there's a lot of people in fitness that people that are listening or watching might look up to 
and think they they are they are the the epitome of health and wellness. But like they could be so all consumed by fitness that they're not actually living their life. Like you come across athletes or people who they track everything. Mm-hmm. They won't eat anything that's off their diet. They have to get this much sleep every night. They have to hit these training sessions. They, they they'll skip social events to go to the gym, or and that's okay if that's like what you love to do. But right. there's a difference between being all in on your health and fitness journey, and then all consumed. And I've been all consumed, right? And it's I may look my healthiest or perform my highest level, but I've felt my unhealthiest. Yeah, and I've been all in. And it's like night and day. Yeah. Yeah. I did a physique competition back in the day. That's all consumed. All consumed. I did 14 weeks training. I mean, every meal I tracked, get one cheat meal a week. It was Sunday morning breakfast and just like have 20 pancakes. But then you're back to just rigid cardio, stair climber in the morning for 60 minutes, go to work, then go to the gym then doing strength training and just repeat, get sleep and just for 12, 13 weeks in a row. I did a bodybuilding show end of March. It was a 13 week prep, I think. Yeah. Same thing. It's all consuming. I reached a low point during that prep where we went to, uh, we went to dinner one night. It was me, some friends, my wife and our daughter. Mm-hmm. I guess our daughter at that point might've been nine months old. And I was obviously trying to hit my macros for that day, hit my like calorie goals. So we go to this Tex-Mex restaurant and I ordered chicken fajitas on the menu. And I asked him, I said, are, are your, cause I'm trying to be as accurate as possible. I said, is your chicken breast like marinated? Do you put oil on it or anything? And they came back, they said like, well, we have, uh, we have this chicken, it, it's marinated. And we can't like take the marinade off. It's like, I don't want like this extra oil that I didn't account for. It's like, okay, well, can I come back in the kitchen? Like, can we wash the marinade off? And I'm like saying this out loud. I'm like, can we wash the marinade off before we put it on the grill? Because I'm dieting for this bodybuilding show and I don't want to account for extra fat, you know, so on and so forth. So they ended up washing the chicken for me <laughs> be- before putting it on the grill. And it comes out. And like it's sitting in front of me and my daughter's next to me. And I'm thinking like, if my daughter was like any older and she would have been exposed to that, heard that, like that is the result of disordered eating. That mm-hmm. what I was doing was disordered eating. Right. So I, like, I felt absolutely horrible. I was like, what am I doing with myself? Like in front of my daughter, in front of my friends, asking the waiter to wash the marinade off my chicken to reduce the fat. I feel like an idiot. But I was like, <laughs> all consumed yeah by that prep your brain has just got one lane that is going down exactly that's wild well speaking of your daughter then so what do you you know how do you want her to grow up in a world of you know bpn supplements and all your fitness competitions and journeys is it something that you're excited for her to do with you that just like you want her to do whatever she wants whatever she loves i just want her to do whatever she yeah wants and loves like even my relationship with fitness is evolving and has evolved over this last year where it used to be all consumed and it was two training sessions a day, every day. Like nothing would like take me from that. It was running in the morning, it was strength training in the evening. Now 
life's different. Like I'm training once a day and fitness is still a huge priority in my life. Always will be, but it's not like the number one anymore. So I'm even feeling my relationship with training and fitness and nutrition evolve. It's always a foundation. It's always a part of our family. You know, the foods that we make at home, the foods that my daughter's exposed to and that she eats. Like she sees me and my wife train every morning. She's going to grow up in that environment, but I don't want her to experience disordered, unhealthy fitness and nutrition and eating and dieting. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to be very conscious of the way we talk about food right. and the way we talk about fitness and training, especially as she gets older. But I just want her to do. Yeah what she enjoys and what she loves doing. But she'll grow up in a family that prioritizes health, wellness, fitness, being active. Right. It might not mean go to the gym seven days a week. But just not sitting on a tablet or right, like we're not gonna, playing video games all day long. Exactly. Going outside and playing. Yeah, it's like building those habits in and just making it normal. Yeah. Do you think about how cool it is for her when she grows older, she can just watch all these videos of her dad? Oh, it's my, it's my favorite part of documenting my last yeah. 10 years of my life. I mean, I go back and watch videos and like, you know, just the, the channel just hit a million subscribers uh, two weeks ago. So we ended up going back and watching all these old videos from, you know, when I was in South Korea, when I got back from South Korea, moving into our first warehouse when the team was just three people, we were watching all these old videos and just reliving memories yeah but it's gonna be so cool for my kids to watch these as well yeah and see like because it was me and my brother building the business so like their uncle will be in these videos as well that's cool watching us just make mistakes and mess up and just build that's wild yeah i started thinking about that i'm a little nervous because i've got some stuff out there that i'm like oof i was on you know tv show and running down a golf course naked with a big black box in front of me. And I'm like, my kid is going to see this one day. I never thought about that until now. For so, better or worse. For better or for worse. Well, a million subscribers, that's impressive. 10 years, 12 years? No, you said 2000. 2014 yeah, so is like when we started. But I tried creating a channel two times before that. Filmed the video, posted it. It got criticism. Deleted the channel. Restarted a new one. Made a video, posted it, got criticism, deleted the channel. And then I finally was like, I'm just going to go all in on this. Yeah. And that's when it slowly just started to grow. How do people, people always ask me this, I don't even have like a big YouTube channel. How do people make money on YouTube? Through views or sponsors? A little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I think YouTube used to be more lucrative than it is now. Right. So like you used to get paid a lot of money for, you know, ads. So you click on a YouTube video, there's that first 30 second ad that you can skip through where you get paid for that impression. And then you can run mid-roll ads and then end of video ads. It's like those obviously accumulate and add up and you, you make ad revenue monthly from that, mm -hmm. which people think is like a massive next amount. level. Yeah, it's Cause really I see people like Jake Paul, right? Who's just made tens of millions of dollars on YouTube. Yeah. It's, I, like, it's I, not like that anymore. My AdSense is not like that. <laughs> yeah. Especially because like we'll use um, copyrighted music because it makes the video cooler sometimes. Right. I'd rather like of course. not use a cheesy like copyright free music all the time. Yeah. So not all of our videos make money. But then you can take sponsorships. 
where like you can get uh, brands to work with you on on videos and do integrations. That's where creators can actually make a whole lot of money is is paid partnerships. But I've always used viewed video or YouTube. I've done some partnerships. I don't do many partnerships on YouTube. I've always viewed it as just a way to build community. I just want to push people to one spot. And that's mm-hmm. the brand mm-hmm. that I spent the last right. 10 years building. It's like, that's just always been the priority of, of YouTube is just traffic generating content. Right. I feel like males are usually the ones buying supplement. It's always been like a very male dominant space. Yeah. Females are always asking, what do you recommend for me if I'm doing strength training? I always say like, definitely get a good protein. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of girls now that are taking creatine. Yep. What else do you recommend? Protein for sure. Yeah. Um, like my wife uses protein every single day, protein powder, because right. she doesn't get enough protein in just through her diet. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say a, a good either plant-based or whey-based protein powder. Um, creatine, my wife recently started taking creatine. Mm-hmm. Creatine is that that one supplement that has been around forever. It's actually the most studied performance supplement on the market, mm-hmm. not just for muscular development, strength, and power output, but it's now having uh, research and clinical studies showing its benefit on mental processing in the brain, which is huge. So my wife now takes creatine every day. She's like a diehard. Like if we travel and I didn't bring creatine, she'll freak out. Yeah. And there's been a lot of studies about fetal development. There has, creatine. yep. Um, I would say like fish oil is actually one that's underrated. A lot of people aren't getting enough uh, essential fatty acids in their diet. So a good uh, omega-3 fish oil is a really good one to take. And I love taking like a green superfood and a red superfood just to get the the vitamins, minerals, nutrients. Uh, we we put prebiotic fibers, digestive enzymes in ours. But like the foundational supplements of like protein, creatine, uh, omega-3 fatty acids, it's like that's your your starter kit, and then for me, it's always the question of well, what are you training for? Mm-hmm. Like, do you have an endurance goal? Okay, well, then like you might need a fuel source, like carbohydrate powder and electrolytes. Everyone could benefit from electrolytes in their in their day. Uh, do you have like strength, power, muscular development goals? Well, maybe you want some uh, some amino acids or a pre workout pump enhancer around your training, or do you have like health and wellness goals? For, for joint health, maybe you want a multivitamin, some sleep support. So it's really like, what are your goals? And then what category of supplements best serves your needs? Mm-hmm. A lot of people say that with the multivitamins, that there's so much in those vitamins that you end up just peeing out most of the nutrients in there. Well, there's water soluble and there's fat soluble. Okay. So like if, if you have enough water soluble vitamins in your body, you will excrete what you don't need. Fat-soluble vitamins are stored. I like viewing a multivitamin as like a nutritional insurance mm-hmm. just to make sure I cover my bases every single day. Uh, a lot of the foods that a lot of people are consuming, you know, a lot of people are consuming, one, a processed diet. But even if you're not just consuming a processed diet and you're consuming a lot of whole foods, a lot of the whole foods we're consuming now are robbed of the vitamins and minerals that you used to have based off of farming practices and kind of the way it's produced or, or raised. So I just always view a multivitamin as that nutritional insurance that 
I've covered baseline and everything on top of that is, is building. How do you feel about CLA? I think it used to be really popular. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was, I remember when I first got into fitness and CLA was like the hottest thing yeah. for fat loss. And I think it's just been, it's been proven and shown that it's not as effective as people once thought it was. Mm -hmm. But I remember when CLA was hot. Yeah. Was like Especially a, in the female market. Yeah. Sam Cat, you take any supplements? Um, yes, but I have to admit that I am not very consistent. Mm -hmm. That I think is my biggest downfall. I have spent years with nutritionists and learning um forcefully from coaches in my past athletics. And then also now as an adult and on my own, it's something that I take serious because I want to live a long and happy, healthy life. But I think my biggest downfall is not necessarily knowing what to take. It's being consistent in taking it because I will be great for like a month and then I'll fall off for a couple of weeks and I'll get back in. And I know that like any training or anything that you're trying to grow and build, it's consistency and that's what's going to help you make it better in the long run. So that's my that's my thing that I need to work on. Yeah. But yeah. I take a I take greens. Um I take pre po I can't remember the name of it now cuz you're putting me on the spot and I'm panicked, but like probiotic um yep. fish oils and something else that's in a blue can that I can't remember. Um but just nothing crazy. I don't I mean I've done creatine, I do protein powder. And those things that I feel like are very basic, like you said, the starter kit. Um, but I don't know. I, I also really enjoy eating vegetables and eating. Like I'd rather eat 30 pounds of broccoli than drink a, a spinach smoothie. That like grosses me out. I don't know. That's weird. But I know people take the drink quickly because it's just easier and less painful for them. I feel the opposite. I'd rather just eat a bunch of vegetables in the day than have to drink it. Oh, uh, I'd rather drink it. But some greens taste like bitter. Like you're drinking bitter. There's a lot of bad greens in the market. Ugh, yeah. Maybe I've just tried all the bad ones. Um, that's very possible. But I don't shy away from a supplement. I feel like yeah. anything that's helping, like you said, the insurance of baseline and then anything you're doing on top of that is just essentially building. I like that mental, like at least I did that today. Right. At least I got up and moved today. At least I took my greens today. It's just kind of like a pat on the bat if you're, you know, trying your best. Yeah. I'm a big fan of just like habit stacking. Mm-hmm. So like I have my habits that uh, they help in maintaining my consistency. So like when I come home from my run every morning, I know exactly what I'm eating for breakfast. I know like what supplements I'm taking and it's like, okay, morning routine habit checked off. So I have certain habits throughout the day that I, I hit that help me maintain this consistency. Do you have recommendations for someone like me who when I, okay, so I, my job, my full-time job is to be on tour with a band. So we travel the country internationally and I am at my home here in Nashville for maybe three days a week. And then I'm on the road in a different state every day from Wednesday to Sunday. It is a chaotic lifestyle and I do not recommend it for most. That's tough. That is where I fall off. When I'm home, Oh my gosh, she is eating all the right things. She's going to the gym every day. She's got clean hair and everything. When I go on the road, it is very difficult to keep up anything consistent because nothing is the same. If I'm trying to habit stack in an environment that's maybe not conducive to that, do you have any recommendations? I'm also a fan of backwards planning. Okay. It's like backwards planning. It's pretty common sense, but the military uses backwards planning 
extensively. So like say tomorrow I'm going to be traveling. Today I'm going to plan for tomorrow. So I'm going to lay out all my supplements that I need for tomorrow. I'm going to look for a gym in the area based off of where I'm going to meet tomorrow that I can get to. Um, I'm going to look for places to eat where I can be on top of my diet or prep meals so I have for tomorrow. And that kind of tells me what time I start that day. So if I have to be somewhere at six, well, that means I probably need to start a run at like four to be done and ready, which leaves no time to prep for that day. So I need to prep tonight. So it's kind of just like looking at where you want to be or what you need to get done and then taking steps back, planning accordingly to give yourself enough time to get from point A to point B. I need to apply that. That's good for like a social setting. <laughs> I'm like, I have a dinner at eight, which means my hair needs to be dry by six, which means <laughs> I do that. That's fine. But the, uh, I guess I, the thing I, I hate it, but I love it because it's so true. But they say failing to prepare is preparing to f- preparing to fail. I can't even say it. And it's that's exactly what you're describing is that if yeah. you don't pre-plan, you're going to fail. And unfortunately, that's so true. And I find myself in that. And I am guilty of that. Like I was saying, the consistency and backtracking, that also takes time and discipline is making sure that you are setting yourself up in order to eventually, when you get to that position, to be able to breeze through it easily instead of struggling in the moment. Like, well, I didn't prepare and now I have catering and it's baked mac and cheese. That's what I have for lunch today. I've always been a big fan of controlling the controllables. And that's why I think, you know, we talked about, I've never been afraid to take that first step. Like taking that first step, you or I already realize like there's certain things I can't control and I'm just going to adapt at what's thrown at me. But if there's something I can control, I will always control that. I think that's why I love marathon training, yeah. for example. Like I know I'm in control of my nutrition and my fueling. I'm I know I'm in control of like when and where I run. I'm in control of my sleep and staying on track. Like there's a lot I can control that leads me to this outcome or the, or the result. But during that process, there's going to be things that are out of my control, the weather, the terrain, injuries. And it's just like adapting and fighting through that. But I'm still going to keep controlling what I can control because that just gives me leverage mm-hmm. to get from point A to point B. It's like whether it's diet or training or business and work or backwards planning, like I'm always focusing on controlling what I can control, but being okay with what I can't. Mm-hmm. So do you hate traveling, getting outside your habitat and having to really focus on your meal planning? And like you said, finding a gym and cause that's something I hate when I'm in like in a good rhythm of life and I have to travel, sleep in a hotel room, figure out the food situation. I find it difficult. I've gotten, I've gotten better. I've become more adaptable. So you know, before I started running, I would stress out about where I would train for the day. Because, you know, when you're traveling, getting to a gym and then working out and then getting back from the gym, it's not like an hour process. It's like a two and a half hour process. Mm-hmm. Now that I run, like I can leave the hotel and run anywhere right. typically, which makes training a whole lot easier. And then with the accessibility to better food options now, like I can travel anywhere and find something. Like sweet green, for example. Love if I'm somewhere, if I'm somewhere that was a sweet green, yeah, I'm eating there every yeah. single meal. Yeah, we're trying to get them in our new building. 
like yeah there's none in nashville none i've dm'd them multiple times like fill out this form and let us know like give some details dude like the best you stack those bowls i get triple chicken yeah i'm like any sweet greens that gets put in nashville will absolutely kill it so if you're thinking about opening up a business anybody come to nashville and open up a sweet greens it would crush like yeah i remember when chipotle first came on the scene as like someone who's in fitness like you're going to chipotle yeah and then kava opened up so i was going to kava Mm -hmm. And then I found Chopped here in Nashville. Chopped, yeah, which I don't like as much as Kava. I'm like, I was on a Chopped kick for a while, and now yeah. I'm back to Kava. But there's all these places that are popping up where if you need to, you can go in and get some greens, some rice, and some chicken. Or I'll even um, Uber Eats, like yeah. a la carte items sometimes. So I found that traveling isn't as hard anymore. Also, talking about backwards planning, I will prepare food for the plane in that travel day so if you look at my backpack when i'm in the airport i will have ziploc ziploc bags of like steak and potatoes and rice like we were traveling the other day and i was on the plane and we were going from texas to la and i'll sit next to this guy and i the night before in my fridge i had two ribeyes that were about to go bad so i knew i had to make them yeah so i made these two ribeyes and i packed them for the flight so we're on the flight and I pull out this ribeye and I'm eating a ribeye next to this guy. <laughs> He's like, dude, is that a ribeye right now? I was like, yeah, man, this is a steak. But I'll prep a meal for the flight uh, or a travel day Yeah, of just like, uh, I'll literally in a Ziploc bag put rice, chicken or ground beef, buffalo sauce. And just take a spoon with you. Yeah, take a spoon with yeah. me and, and eat it. And but like that food, it makes me feel good. Yeah. It's like food for me is always... Yes, it it facilitates a certain performance outcome and helps me maintain a body composition, but I want to feel good and certain foods make me feel good and certain foods don't make me feel good. Right. What's your relationship like with alcohol? Um, I probably like drink three, three days a week, but I never have, like right now I won't have more than two drinks at a time. Okay. So I'm a huge fan of going to dinner. Yeah. Me and my wife love trying new restaurants. I will spend, which I will say, I was very surprised by the Nashville food scene. is much better than I yeah, thought it was going to be. Yeah, we talking about the other day. It's like pretty incredible. So our date night is every Thursday. <clears throat> That's when we have our babysitter. So I'm like scouting out the food scene and picking all these restaurants. Like one of our favorite things to do is go to a new restaurant and try a bunch of things on the menu and get like one or two cocktails and relax. I've never been against drinking. Uh, I enjoy it socially. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not in a chapter phase of my life where I'm getting trashed yeah. anymore. But like if I'm going to dinner, I'm getting a drink. Right. Or or two drinks. But right now, especially in a training block, I'm not getting more than two drinks. What's your drink of choice? Uh, I've been in a huge Negroni kick recently. Okay. But I also love spiky, spicy margs. All right. Um, I like old fashions. Yeah. Those are like my three go-to drinks. Or like I'll just try something that's on the menu that's different. Different. Like yeah. I'll always ask the the waiter, like, what do you recommend? Right. I'll try it. What's been your favorite restaurant here? Um, you know, we went to this one surprisingly, it was called me kitchen and my kitchen in franklin it was in a strip mall 
and it's uh, Korean food, and it's a bunch of tapas, small plates, and it was absolutely incredible. Everything there was incredible. But uh, tomorrow night we're actually going to um, Audrey's. Okay. Uh, and then I recently came across. There's this chef in um, in Nashville, Sean Brock. He has he has actually a Netflix episode on Chef's Table. Really, highly recommend it. So he owns, or he's the chef at Audrey, the Continental, Husk. Husk is awesome. We're going to Husk next week. Yeah. And uh, there's a few more on there, but I've been doing a huge, like a lot of research on him. I want to go to, to Noku. Noku's great. Noku. Um, we, we've been to Frankie's Pizza like four times already. <laughs> Have you been to Dicey's Pizza yet? You know what? Someone just told me about <laughs> so Dicey's. Good. Have you had Frankie's yet? No, but Dicey's I'll have every Friday night. Interesting. I went on their Instagram. I checked it out. I didn't know what to think, but yeah. I guess we'll have to try it out. It's so good. My favorite. What's it, your favorite place in Nashville? I'm so bad at this. I'm just going to like, when people come to the gym and ask for recommendations, I'm just going to be like, go upstairs, ask, ask Nick. I I'm got always so bad. I always tell people Pinewood Social because it's right near the gym. It's kind of a cool vibe. It used to be an old bowling alley. Most people don't know. If you look at the tables, the tables are actually the old lanes that used to be the bowling alley. That's cool. So it's got a cool vibe to it. Um, they got some. Co they have a little coffee shop in there as well. Food's not bad. Other than that, I don't know. What do you think? I don't have a favorite place in Nashville because I feel kind of like you do. I love to do the research. I follow like Nashville Guru or any of the influencers. Pick one of the four billion that are here. Mm -hmm. That are there are like foodie influencers, and I also feel like it's hard to keep up with the number of maybe like hotel coffee shop tapas or cocktail bars that offer just like, I love, like you said, to go get a cocktail with a snack. I love that yeah. more than like a huge meal. So I feel like there's a lot, a national has a lot of those to offer as well. So it just kind of depends on what you're looking for. But I have a whole list of things in my notes app. Sean makes fun of me because I keep everything in my phone on my notes app, but you hear about a new place and I'll put it in there and like, make sure. So when someone's like, where should we go to eat? And everybody just stands around and stares at each other. I'm like, let's go to one of these places. Yeah. A little bit of everything around here. Very easily yeah. accessible. Nashville's evolving big time. Well, one of the goals with, you know, me and my wife moving here is like we wanted to really focus on community, which I can already feel like Nashville is a very yeah. community focused and very family focused city. Yes. Um, especially we're over in the 12 South area and there's families everywhere. 12 South is awesome. We, we love it. It's like this chapter and season of our life I kind of view this last chapter of my life as it was just work. It was like no play. Uh, and now it's like, yes, work is very, very important, but like, let's play a little bit more. It's like, let's like build this community and build some real relationships and friendships. And that's what we're focused on right now. Yeah. Yeah. You're in a great area. 12 South is blown up. It's got all cool little local shops. The houses there. I remember when I first moved here, I looked at a house when my dad was down here with me on a corner lot in 12 South. And it was like, man, it was like $300,000. Yeah. I didn't get it. And I'm like, God. That house is 1.3 now. Yeah. Easily. Easily. Yeah. Please. It's a beautiful part of town if you're ever in Nashville. Um, let's finish this off with 
go one more. Let's uh, let's talk about that. You got it tattooed yep. on your arm. You got it on your truck. I do. It's your motto. So it was uh, it was my first marathon prep. It was 2018, and this is about me and my wife were living downtown Austin, and I had an 18 mile run on the schedule for that day. I was 230 pounds. You know, like running wasn't comfortable. I got to mile 10 on that run, and I was just like, you know, I'm not feeling this one today. So I started walking back to the the apartment. And as I'm walking back, I just started thinking like, man, if I quit on this run, like what else will I quit on in my life? I'll probably quit like on, on a work on a late night at, at the office or on a project or, you know, a relationship or anything. So I walked back because I'm going to finish this run. Ended up running 19 miles that day. So one more. Came back, took my hat off. I wore a hat like all the time. Yeah. And took my hat off and I wrote on the bill one more. And I took a photo of it and I posted it on Instagram. Like not thinking anything of it. I probably added like, you know, the Nashville like filter. It was like, you know, Instagram <laughs> yeah. was so different then. Yeah. And uh, the response was wild. Like all these people started writing one more on the bill of their hat and sending it to me. So I thought, oh, this must have like struck some sort of nerve in a lot of people. So I started saying it more often, just using it in things. And that evolved into go one more. Then we trademarked it and I got it tattooed. And I wanted it somewhere where I was running. It was right below my watch as I was checking my pace and I would see it. So if, if I was ever want to run again, I wouldn't quit right. early on that run. And after getting that tattoo, same thing with the hat. People start taking a photo of it and sending it to me. Now there's thousands of people with the Go One More tattoo. And it's it's interesting because Go One More for me has evolved. I'm writing actually a book right now called Go One More. And it's about the evolution of Go One More for me because when I first founded it, it was all about just like doing one more of something physically. Running an extra mile, doing an extra rep working an extra hour and that one more would compound over time to, to build into this larger, greater goal and effort. But it's evolved for me personally over time where I actually don't think that go on more is an action anymore, but it's an outcome. And what I mean by that is the only way you can implement go one more into your life and actually do more things is by focusing on the right things and having clarity into what is actually important to you and what you care about and how you live a life and how you show up. So this book that I'm writing right now is what I've learned in my life by either succeeding or failing as an entrepreneur, as an athlete, as a husband, as a father, and how I've gained clarity into what's actually important, what I want to do, and how that's allowed me to go one more in different parts of my life. So it's an outcome as, as opposed to just like an action because I saw so many people, I want to say like watering down the message of going more because they thought it was just doing more of something. Right. But I saw people destroying parts of their life by going, doing, like yeah. doing more work, like signing up for another race or running more miles or like, training nonstop and they're leaving their their family and their kids and their responsibilities and priorities at home. I'm like, man, you're like, you're really missing the mark with what I was like 
trying to promote here. And I really thought about that long and hard. And it's like the clarity you need to go one more. Love that. It's evolved. I, my life has evolved a lot over the years, but yeah, these last like 18 months, it's evolved like at a, a very fast rate and pace. That's fun though. It's fun. Yeah. I feel like I've grown a lot in this last year and a half. Yeah. I believe it. I mean, you moved, you got a baby. You want more kids? Oh, we do. Yeah. Yeah. We want a big family. Want like a, sometimes it's hard to say that when you're like in the yeah. thick of it. You're like, I look at my wife sometimes, I'm like, how do people have more than one kid? Yeah. But then once the house is quiet, you know, you think of the future, like, I want to allow just like, Reckless, wild home. Right. We need more kids to do that. Got to go one more. We'll just keep going. <laughs> I'm going to put at the gym a big sign that says, go two more. <laughs> one, one up, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, well, appreciate you coming by. It was fun. We're going to work on Sam Cat getting that runner's high. And if it doesn't work, we're just going to smoke and then go on a run and you'll get that runner's high. Mm -hmm. There you go. That's my kind of runner's high. <laughs> yeah. I'll work on it. Well, where can they find you? Instagram. YouTube, yep. all the social media channels. Yeah, uh, YouTube, if you search Nick Bear, B-A-R-E. Uh, I have like 900 plus videos uploaded on there from the last decade of my life, documenting everything, yeah. the whole journey. Uh, I host a podcast called the Nick Bear Podcast. Instagram is Nick Bear Fitness. And uh, that's my stuff. How would you describe your podcast? You have guests on there? We have, we, have, we have guests right now. Um, the last three episodes have been solo just because we're building out in the new studio in the space above you. Uh, but it's, it's focused on entrepreneurial journeys, uh, motivation, inspiration around training, mindset. We bring in some people, uh, prior service military, active duty military, but it's really mindset focused on how to apply the go on more mindset to your life and really just live out your full potential. Nice. I love it. Well, thank you for everything you do. Thank you for serving our country. Thank you. We appreciate you. you guys, check them out. Until then, team on three.